Good morning people, this is State of Mind with me, Richard Sefton. It's that time of week again, chill out, unwind, grab a cuppa and let's get talking. Talking, chatting, nattering, gabbing, it doesn't matter what you call it, it helps. I've got a nice big mug of coffee in front of me this morning and I'm ready to listen. If you want to join in, I'm on Twitter at Richard Sefton 3 Come join me. Well, what a treat I have for you today. My guest is normally heard in the afternoon between 2 and 5 on Radio 2's Big Show. This wonderful person has sung backing vocals for Boy George, Kim Wilde, toured the world with Wham! and had hits in her own right in early 90s dance at Cola Boy. Author, natural well-being expert, speaker, fellow podcaster, mum, owner of an infectious laugh, I am really joyous in welcoming Janie Lee Grace to my sofa. How are you, Janie? Hi, yeah, great, thanks. Lovely to chat. Absolutely right. One of my big dreams, uh, what what I said in the, in the intro, is you being a backing singer. Absolutely one of the things that I wanted to do as a child. Can Aww. we talk about the backing singing years for a yeah, minute? Of course. I mean, yeah, those absolutely. names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It seems it seems so odd when I look back now, but um, yeah, I remember just really hustling. Getting the getting the Wham gig was a really interesting one because they were obviously they you know just had their first hit. Mm. and wanted to put a tour together and and I was already doing backing singing with various um kind of setups for various bands um but I really wanted to get this gig obviously yeah <laughs> and I heard uh, the tour I got in touch with the tour manager who mm. said they're auditioning um but they what they really wanted he said was um a setup so a vocal uh, you know a backing group that were already a unit mm-hmm. as it were so at the time there were a few of those around those kind of um singers it was often two guy uh, two guys and a girl or two girls and a, one guy you know wh- whatever and and one of the one of the setups that were going for the gig were called Kokomo I mean you won't remember them they're too young but they they had hits and everything this kind of little setup but they were also doing backing vocals yeah. I thought oh no I'm not going to be able to compete against them so anyway I go <laughs> along on my own and uh, and 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 it was and it was really you know it was great I sort of met George and Andy just very very briefly but then worked <laughs> wow. with the um, worked with the uh, the kind of M- MD guy called Tommy and he said to me look he said we're you know we're auditioning a whole bunch of of, of uh, backing singers but if you could be if you were part of a unit that would probably help so I thought oh goodness so I came away and um, and rang two friends one was G, G Bello who was in a band called Light of the World and I'd met him on a session I'd only met him once yeah. and then my friend who I'd done various bits and bobs with Janet so I rang them and I said look could we pretend we're a unit could we just kind of rock up and make it sound like we've sung together lots of times and they said <laughs> yeah why not so we literally rehearsed by phone Mm. And then rocked up and said that we were a unit. You know, we gave ourselves a name and said, well, we're, we're, a, we're a unit. You know, we always work together. And we got the gig. I was like, wow. 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 Yeah, amazing. <laughs> so where, where were Pepsi and Shirley at this point? <laughs> well, they, they were always part of it, but they were, they were the dancers who would come out front and dance. I mean, of course, later they had their own career as, as singers, which was fantastic. Mm. But in terms of the Wham tours... Um, they were the dancers and they got to wear all the fabulous clothes while well, we got to wear the same clothes as the guys in the band. <laughs> that was never fair. Do you know, oh my God, it just sounds so amazing. How And you, <laughs> taught, and you toured with them for a year, did you? Or, or... Um, oh, well, it was about three years. Three it was years. all there. 
all their tours. Um, we did, yeah, we did the UK a couple of times and uh, at the States oh, wow. a few times, all the, all the big venues. And then, of course, China. That was the most amazing experience. I mean, really amazing. Sometimes I look back and I think, God, did I actually dream that? If, if, the, if that movie wasn't out there, you know, there's the movie Wham in China. Mm, yeah. I would, I would barely believe it happened because it was, you know, before all of the changes in China, like first time around, all of the changes. It's just bizarre when you think about it. It was kind of, what was it, 1981 or 82? Incredible. <laughs> that was the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, you see. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, you spot that. that. dates me. <laughs> oh, come up yeah. here. You look nowhere near. You, you must have been about two touring with them. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, so you must have been really close then with, with, with the lads, with, with George yeah. and, and Andrew. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the early years, they were very much kind of part of the gang. You know, we were all kind of traveling together as as they got, you know, super mega famous. Um, mm. You know, they kind of probably had their own um, flash cars and we went on the tour bus. But, you know, that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still met them up on stage. So um, I, I'm guessing working on radio, too, because you've been there a long time, haven't you? I have. Yeah, it's scary, actually. It's 21 years, practically. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. So I've been listening to you all of that time. Uh, but you must have you must have seen these people that you knew from, say, the early 80s. You must have been you must have seen them quite a lot then. Um, oh, you mean kind of coming in as guests on the show? And yeah. Stuff? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's funnily enough, we were interviewing um, uh, Tracy from Everything But The Girl the other day. And, and I was remembering <gasps> wow. that that although I was always a massive fan of that band, I've never got to meet her before. So, really? yeah, there's been there's been some people that obviously come in on the show and I'd sort of known them from my touring days and then others who who I'd never met before. But, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I mean, I have probably met you know an awful lot of celebs now when I think about it, although less in the last year, of course, because we've been doing everything from home. That must be so weird. How have you, how have you coped? Well, you just have to get on with it, don't you? I can't say I've enjoyed it. Um, mm. You know, I hate all the tech stuff. but uh, And it's just so difficult when you're trying to interview someone and, and there's sort of three or four of you and you don't know who's going to speak and there ends up with loads mm -hmm. of crosstalk. <laughs> so, oh, God, <laughs> wish we could just meet up, really. So when was the last time you were in the studio all, all together then? Oh, well, last March. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. God, that must be... Um... That must be really strange. Like it after is, so many yeah. years of being like, yeah, like knowing each other's body language and stuff and okay, it yes, looks like Tim's exactly. going to speak now. And that's, yeah, a totally different way of working. It is. It really is a different way of working. I mean, we've just about pulled it out of the bag, I think. But it, it, yeah, it is tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, you've kept people coming <laughs> back for more. Um, so just, pre I mean, I don't want to talk too much about, about, about this, but George Michael's death, that, that must have affected you, hit you hard, oh, knowing him. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously I hadn't seen him for a good few years, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, when I, I got, somebody rang me from um, Radio 2 and actually said, would you, would you, you know, speak on air about a little bit about, you know, um, working with, with George and, so yeah, so I so I did, and so for a few hours on that day, I was sort of busy doing radio interviews, and, and I don't think it sank in for a while. Mm. Um, and you know, when I look looking back at that, I, it, what's just so unbelievably sad is that someone in his position, you know, with with I mean, literally everything, literally everything, yeah, um, couldn't didn't 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 get the help that he needed i just i find it just absolutely incredulous um that that he i don't know it's just it's it's really heartbreaking that 
the, the right people weren't around to, I don't know, maybe even force him to, to, to deal with whatever was going on, you know, because there was obviously a lot going on with, mm. with, with George and, uh, you know, and he wasn't well in those last years. Um, it's heartbreaking, really, really heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But then you say that the right people weren't around. Um, there's a long, sadly, a long list of, you know, Amy Winehouse, um, I know, Michael Jackson, I know. people where the, the right people weren't around them at the right time. I know, I know. And, and yet but, they had um, everything else. Well, yeah, that's that's right. And then, but then, of course, you know, then it's easy to kind of, you might think to yourself, well, I wonder if I'd have been close to him then. You know, mm. I wonder if I could have made a difference. And, and, and I guess there must be so many people feeling that way. Actually, the reality is probably none of us could have made a difference. You know, that's this. I, I'm not answering this question at all. I'm just I'm just ruminating, really. But it is. Um, it, yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking um, that, that that people just kind of. Uh, I don't know, I just have to die young. It really is. Have you always been um, in touch with that sort of side of things, your own state of mind, uh, other people's state of mind? Um, well, I think, you know, for me, what happened was um, around... It, no, it, 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 it took a while, really. I think I was, I was always really very sensitive, um, extremely sensitive um, in those days when I was sort of singing and stuff. Yeah. But I think it was probably not till, um, if I had to put a date on it, probably be early 90s when I started to get really interested in optimum health and well-being. So for me, it mm. started with looking at my diet and, and, you know, what I was physically kind of putting into my body. And, and, and I, I went on a bit of a health kick. And it was it was only then that I, I it, everything kind of fell into place and clicked. And I suddenly realised that actually you have to look at the holistic picture. It's no good just looking at, you know, whether you're eating superfoods, or, you know, or not. You've, you've really got to look at what's going on in your head as well. So I think that was when I started on my, um, you know, journey of sort of personal development and spirituality and, uh, and and all of that stuff and and then I kind of got on quite a steep learning curve and and threw myself into all of that really you did and and you trained didn't you in uh, NLP and yeah that was yeah that's more recently I've trained in uh, okay. NLP and uh, I've been an EFT practitioner for about um, six seven years and then more recently I've trained in NLP since I've been doing the kind of coaching and the work that I do I, I do now it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, you've got a new book out, haven't you? Happy, healthy, yeah. sober. Yeah, the the, the book um, came about because I, you know, I mentioned that I've been kind of doing healthy living stuff for years, and I've written um, four books on the topic actually, yeah. um, and and that's always been what I'm kind of known for is that uh, holistic approach to everything. I mean, I've spoken a lot about it on the radio. The, you know, the boys are always kind of taking the mickey out of me because I'm talking about you know eco balls and coconut oil and goodness knows what you know and they all laugh and kind of fade the mic down but but you know it's all in good fun um and that's kind of how the first books came about really and then I've I run plat my platinum awards which you know recognize the best in natural products and I've been doing all mm -hmm. of that stuff for a good sort of 16 17 years um but all of that time, I was walking around this massive, great big elephant in the room, which was alcohol. You know, I was yeah. allegedly kind of queen of natural living and really, really caring about not putting any chemicals in, in my body, not washing my clothes with chemicals. I mean, everything. But there I was boozing every goddamn night. So, um, you know, it was just such a wake up call when I finally got it. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I've been sober three and a bit years. And so uh, I, 
I host a podcast, as you say, and I gave a TEDx talk and um, and now I've got the book out. And I mean, I really want the book to be, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really not just, oh, you should give up alcohol. Far from it. It's I'm totally non-judgmental. And mm-hmm. but the question I try and encourage people to ask is, could my life be better physically and emotionally without the booze? Um, and that's really what I want to kind of encourage people to all the other bits of health and well-being. It's not it's not just ditching the booze. It's a great place to start, but it's it's all the other bits, really. And, um, and certainly the mindset piece is huge. I mean, the link between alcohol and anxiety just cannot be denied. Hmm. I think, yeah, because there's, there's certain um, in inverted commas social norms that you kind mm. of have to and just looking through your your Twitter feed, actually, you see a lot of them, uh, wine o'clock and, and, mm. and things like that and things that you're supposed to do. When I tell people that I don't drink, they automatically assume that I'm a recovering alcoholic, which is fine. Mm. They can assume that if they want, but I'm not. It was mm. medication reasons that I gave up in 2016. Yeah. Um, I never was a massive drinker anyway, but you know, waking up on a Sunday morning and feeling fresh and seeing Facebook statuses from people, oh, I'm never drinking again, but in a jokey way, it's yeah. kind of society's way of dealing with it is to deal with it through jokes. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, yeah, it seems really different to other things. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely. It's, it's the social kind of glue that sticks everything together. And, you know, um, and, and, and you're right, you know, we do, we do, we, we glamorise alcohol in this country and we, we think it's just, you know, hilarious and highly amusing and you, you're not seen to have had a good night out unless you're drunk. I mean, actually, it's, it, when, you, when, the kind of, when the scales come off and you see it for what it is, you realise how sad all of that is really. And, and, you know, I've literally only got one regret and that is just that I just didn't do this sooner. Um, I, was literally, I was literally blind to it all, I really was, and most people are. Um, because, no, you know, here's the thing, nobody in all the years, even when I started to kind of think, oh, God, this something isn't right. You know, I'm kind of feeling really energyless and something's not quite right. I didn't ever have a rock bottom moment, by the way. I think it's really important to stress that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's this area of what we call gray area drinking that we need to raise more awareness about. Yeah. because. You know, um, the majority of people aren't clinically dependent. They aren't at rock bottom needing alcohol services. They're they're just the way I was. They're just drinking too much too often and actually hating themselves for it. So so they are caught in a kind of trap. You know, they're not free. Um, but but when I first started to kind of uh, voice this, you know, for ages, it was, I was in denial. And when I first started to voice it, you know, if I went to see a therapist or a Sometimes I have, you know, things like energy healing and stuff because of the work I do. I used to get a chance to sample lots of great treatments. And, you know, I might just say to the practitioner, you know something, I'm, I'm worried about my drinking because, you know, I'm drinking kind of every day. And in every case, they would just say, well, you know, sounds normal. You, you're just like yeah. me. And, yeah, you know, it sounds normal. So, you know, just have one day where you don't have any alcohol. It used to drive me insane. And so I would then sort of come away. That gave me license to carry on. Yeah. Um, and, and, but actually, I now know that I just needed somebody to say to me, oh, sweetheart, I've got the best suggestion for you. Oh, my God, you are going to so love this. Stop. <laughs> drinking you know nobody ever told me how freaking fantastic life is without the booze you know <laughs> yeah it's so strange it, it, sometimes it does just take one one person to say something that's very obvious and very um you know just right there in your face and mm. it can change everything 
Yeah, totally. Well, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to kind of, you know, in a, in a non-judgmental way, mm -hmm. spread that message because there would be people who've never heard it before, just like I hadn't. I had no idea that there were people who chose to ditch the booze and, mm. and it was the best decision they'd ever made. My, my perception, so, you know, three and a half years ago, four years ago, would have been that I was going to be completely miserable without drink in my life. How was I ever going to be able to function or be happy or be fun anymore? But the, literally the opposite is true. I think a bigger barrier to break down is, the, is, is other people's perceptions. Uh, the amount of times that I get that when I tell people that I don't drink, oh, you're the miserable yeah. one then. Yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. really not the miserable one. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and you know, the, that, that, that anagram, you know, sober anagram of bores, it, it's ah. completely not true. And also, you know, you're right. It's, it's usually the people who've been drinking that are, you know, the maudlin ones because alcohol mm. is a depressant. Yeah. And yes, you know, yes, they might seem like they're, they're the happy ones at the start of the night. But, you know, ask them the next morning when they're hungover, who's mm. the happy one, you know. Um, certainly, I, I had no concept of, of, of that kind of, um, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but kind of inner peace, if you like, that kind of sense of contentment. I didn't know what that meant. I honestly mm. didn't know what that meant. And even though I was doing all of this work around spirituality and I was Hay House author and I was interviewing you know, lots of mindfulness gurus and all the rest of it. If you'd have actually asked me about, about my personal experience, I would have just said, oh, it doesn't apply to me. Um, <laughs> and that, the reason is because I was pouring booze on my head all the time. And I, of course, I couldn't actually be authentic. Of course, I couldn't sit in meditation or, or really, you know, really tap into that kind of proper mindfulness because I was always planning the next drink. Mm. I, have, I mean, I've, I've got friends um i and i've lost friends through drink and and i've had friends that have had uh, alcohol dependency and i could never get i could never understand that addiction like you say you're talking about the gray area but i could never understand that addiction so i actually took up smoking just to understand addiction now i understand wow. addiction i mean I'm, i don't smoke anymore but I, I and it's a very strange strange way of, of trying to understand addiction i understand that this was years ago um but yeah it, it that gray area down the middle isn't addressed it's just not, not addressed yeah. it's the norm yeah. to friday night saturday and you see it on like i say on facebook on twitter oh it's friday night it's beer o'clock it's friday night it's wine o'clock and and all of those things and yeah and it does change change i mean it changed my life when i stopped um drinking and i like i say i didn't drink that much but it changed my life sunday mornings were bright again and you know for me it was a saturday night i'd have a few drinks and every mo sunday morning was gloomy and gray even if the sun was shining it was gloomy yeah. and gray it's not anymore yeah no exactly i mean re really it, it, there is this you know is that i know i should be plugging my own book but you know that fantastic Go book for by it. Catherine gray <laughs> Catherine gray's book says um you know it's titled the unexpected joy of being sober and that is just the best title because you know it really is an unexpected joy i had i had no idea i genuinely thought well how am I going to navigate life without booze you know where will I go what will I do what will, will I ever be able to be fun again and, and you are right you know the, the reaction of others is a big one it can be the reason that people take so long to stop because they're so fearful of what others are going to say you know coming mm. out of lockdown there are people who ditch the booze some of my the people in my um, sober club community have ditched the booze during lockdown so they're actually really nervous now of, of getting back out into the big wide world and doing any kind of socializing yeah. um, without a drink. So that, you know, my advice to them and to anyone who's kind of concerned about that is do your prep, 
don't just rock up to, to anything. Actually do your prep. You know, let your friends know ahead of time or text or email or whatever you do and just give them a heads up that you're not drinking. You can fib if you want to. Or you can tell the truth. Who cares? You know, or drive home, whatever. But but let them know because otherwise you find yourself at the bar. Yeah, you find yourself standing at the bar or sitting in someone's garden. They hand you the drink you always have. And before you know it, you're off on a roll. So you've got to give someone a heads up. Yeah. Um, but but walk a fine line between letting people know and and sharing everything you've ever experienced with them because I actually think in the early days and weeks you shouldn't share too much of this with um with close friends and family because they haven't necessarily been there done it got the t-shirt and they don't know what's going on for you so just share yeah. the bits you need to share mm -hmm. your journey is your journey um mm. I also think um a big part of it is um learning the drinks that you do like and 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 going prepared in that way because a big Absolutely. thing is walking up to a bar and there's no choice other than a coke or a lemonade yeah well i mean fortunately that is changing and yeah. one of my big mantras is keep the ritual change the ingredients so mm. absolutely always have a lovely glass you know it really annoys me that glasses have to be named after the goddamn liquid that goes in them you know why is it called a wine glass for god's sake yeah. but anyway ask for one or or a highball or whatever it is you want and 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 again prep ahead so if you're going to a bar or a restaurant ring them just as you would if you were vegan mm -hmm. you would ring ahead and ask you know you'd say here's my dietary requirements you know what have you got and do exactly the same ring ahead and ask what really great alcohol-free drinks they've got and if their answer is well we've got coke or an orange juice then you need to say okay well you won't mind me bringing my own then will you and they can charge you corkage for a soft drink so go armed with your own alcohol-free drinks if you go into a friend's always take fantastic alcohol-free drink, drinks because the choice is massive and I mean the good news is pubs and and bars are getting better it's mm. it's it's a, events and kind of hospitality venues that are, are, are you know struggling to keep up but most bars and even some restaurants are, are starting to get onto it now yeah going back 20 years it was all um do you want red white or water if you yeah, were like sat exactly. down at an event or something you know that that was yeah, it okay. yeah, oh, yeah. Water, well it, it it kind of is a bit like that at, at events I remember when I was first when I first itched the booze I went to uh, I was at a couple of health and well-being events uh, an, an awards ceremony and another big health event and I was just absolutely freaked out that that of course I hadn't done my prep I didn't know all the stuff I, I know now and I hadn't really told anyone and and there we were at this natural health event and the only drinks on offer were, as you say, red or white, or I think there might have been a beer. I mean, there wasn't even the, the obligatory warm orange juice for the non-drinkers, oh, wow. you know. But I remember thinking to myself, well, OK, I'll cope with this. But imagine if I'd brought along some celeb friends with me. Mm -hmm. You know, Imagine if I'd come in with Zoe Ball and Russell Brand and Elton mm -hmm. John. Are they going to offer them a goddamn warm orange juice, you know, because mm -hmm. they don't drink either? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 strange. Yeah, like you say, if you equate it to something like veganism, mm. um, there would be more of an uproar. Yeah, <laughs> the, exactly. Where's my options? Yeah, I mean, I think I do think it's changing. So, yeah. I mean, the the rise in the alcohol-free drinks market is just massive, as you know. I mean, and a lot some of the kind of uh, big producers, the artisan mm. producers, are doing brilliantly. But even some of the big producers are finding that their zero percent options mm -hmm. are far outselling their their beers and stuff it's it's amazing well do you know what i find funny if i have a copperberg 
um, non-alcohol Copperberg. I think it's Copperberg that, 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 that do the non-alcoholic, but the, the fruity ciders anyway. If I have one of those and it's non-alcohol and I have one of those that is alcohol, they taste exactly the same, but I prefer mm. the one with no alcohol. Yeah. It feels nicer. I can yeah, drink lot, it quicker. I mean, I don't drink beer, but a lot of people tell me that the, um, the alcohol-free beers, the, some of the kind of... Um, you know, the big brands, the Heineken, the Stella, they mm. all do, they all do 0% versions and they say they're really good. Yeah. I mean, I, the amount of times that I hear people saying, oh, there's no point in drinking unless you're getting drunk. And I just think, no, that's not, you know, it's nice to have a nice fruity drink in the sun outside well, a pub it, if you need to yeah. with friends. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point you raise because actually the sunshine is a real big trigger for people mm. to drink. Um, you know, I've had sober club members who said, oh, God, it was really, really a panic for me when the sun came out the other day. The, you know, you get the wine witch in your ear telling you, go on, you know, the sun's out, you deserve it, just have a nice drink. Um, and, and of course, you have to, at that point, pause and ask yourself, well, what is it I really want right now? Because it sure as hell isn't alcohol. We, mm. we drink alcohol because of the feeling we believe it gives to us, whether that's mm -hmm. because we want to feel relaxed or chilled or grown up or happy or confident or sexy or whatever the hell it is we think we want. We mm -hmm. think alcohol gives it to us. And all of our associations over years and years support that. So I was so going to say association yeah. is a big... Exactly. So we have to turn it all around and recognise that if it's a lovely sunny day, yes, you want, may want to sit outside a pub with friends. Yes, you want a nice cold glass of something. But why would you want it to be toxic liquid? Because, you know, I, I sometimes say to clients I work with, you know, when they say they're great, they're, they've had a really busy day or they're exhausted or they're stressed and they really need, in inverted commas, they really desire a drink. And then I'll say to them, OK, well, let's imagine you've got in from work then or whatever and you're exhausted and you, let's say your drink of choice is, you know, white, white wine. Supposing, you know, I said to you, OK, well, yeah, hold on a minute. I'll, I'll get some for you. And then I, I come back and say, oh, I've only got this old stuff that's been in the garage for a few years. It's a, it's a sweet one, but it'll be okay. It's not cold, but don't worry. And my glasses are all packed away, but don't worry, because I've got this cracked paper cup. It'll be all right. I mean, suddenly it doesn't seem so appealing, does it? Because it wasn't actually the alcohol they wanted at all. Mm. It was everything that came with it, the associations of the lovely cold glass and the chilled drink. And it, it, it wasn't the alcohol. Um, and that's that's why I think we have to just learn to retrain our thoughts. At the start of, uh, of what you were just saying, you said about um, what we get from alcohol, like feeling sexy or feeling confident or feeling mm. like the life and soul of the party. Do you think uh, are you quite confident? Have you always been quite a confident person? Um, yes, in certain ways. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm I've I've trained myself to be confident on the outside, as it were. That doesn't mean that I'm, yeah. you know, not also quite sensitive and it's quite interesting because a lot of people find that once they stop drinking they aren't the extrovert they thought they were they're really quite introverted that's that's been an eye-opener for some of my sober club members <laughs> you know because they, they were thinking oh my god how am I ever gonna dance on tables at parties you know <laughs> how, how am I gonna be the person that I am and then they they they're sober for a few months they go you, you know what I love sitting reading a book or doing my knitting <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Um, but, but you know, it, that's not to say that you become, you know, necessarily very insular. I've mm. loads of my sober club members have done the most incredible things since they've ditched the booze. It's amazing how when you get your mojo back, mm -hmm. you do gain confidence, you gain, you gain actual 
authentic kind of confidence in who you really mm. are. And that's when people start to find, do you know what? I, I, I want to change career. I want to start a business. I want to write a book. I want to run a charity. I want to travel. I want to, you know, start running. Or I mean, so many different things that amazing hobbies people take up. Mm. Um, and it's, it's super exciting because they find they have so much time on their hands and suddenly they have this new sense of energy and a kind of a authenticity really as to who they really are. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say, I'm still the person that dances on the tabletop. Yeah, perfect, perfect, that's great. But then great. I used to say to people, there's no point in me drinking, I'll still be the first one up on karaoke, I'll still be the great. first one up on the dance floor, so what, what do, why do I need to feel ill in the morning? And Brilliant. I never enjoyed it, enjoyed the taste much anyway. <laughs> exactly, perfect. <laughs> Other yeah. than a cup of egg, like yeah. I say, I'm, I, I hope they sponsor me for this after this. <laughs> As long as it's not a corona, right? <laughs> oh, good God, no. Never again. I wonder if their shares have gone down. I'm, guess, I'm guessing they have, sadly. <laughs> oh, so how did, what made you, um, obviously you did the book and everything that's out this year. When did you start the podcast? Um, I started the podcast, the podcast is uh, two, two years old. Where about yeah, are you from, by the way? Originally, from, Nottingham. Yeah, Nottingham, yeah. Because you said podcast instead of... You, you, <laughs> I know I said it. I was wondering if you just mimicked me or you actually would have normally said podcast. No, I'm from Nottingham. Where are, you, where are you from? I live in North Wales. I lived in London oh, for a long okay. time, so I've got oh, a bit lovely. of a Mongol accent. <laughs> oh, oh, Wales is gorgeous. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I started the podcast after I'd been sober for uh, a year. So, yeah, it's been, mm. going, it's been going just over two years. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've had some just amazing guests on there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I really, I really, I mean, because podcasts are what kept me um, inspired, really, in those early weeks. That's why I wanted to start one. And I thought, well, I'm really lucky that I've got access to some great experts and great authors. So uh, let's give it a go. And it's, you know, as you know, it's a bit of a labour of love. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's new. It's kind of new to me. I think you are my episode seven. Oh, cool. <laughs> so it's new to me, but it's so, it's so much fun to do and I get to chat mm. to the most wonderful people and find out different states of mind from different people like yeah. um, politicians, musicians, um, radio, uh, talk radio DJs, that sort of thing. And then your good self. Yeah. <laughs> All different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think I think there's something lovely about just being able to tune into a podcast when you go for a walk or a drive or whatever mm. it might be. And it's and I think, you know, when you're when you're in the early stages of making any kind of behavior change, I think um, it's just a great way to get inspired and hear from people who've kind of been there and done it, really. It, I'll tell you what's been interesting. Um, all of the different ways that people look after their mental health. Mm. Um, and I mean, my, my podcast is about talking and it's about um, it just having a good chat with somebody can, it can help you. So, mm. you know, if you want to chat, go and chat. Um, if you're in a position to listen, listen. But the things that my guests have said to me, like, like you know, even the healthy eating um, and the, the, the non-alcohol that we've, that we've talked about, but then other things that people have said about how they look after and nurture their mental health and it's so different and yet mm. it works for them and I yeah. think it's, it's it's kind of beautiful to listen to yeah I think it, I do I think it's hugely important that everyone finds what works for them of course mm. I, I do think that um the connection piece is really important um to, to even if you don't have a, a group of friends that you meet physically even if you don't meet people online mm. just being connected 
um, you know, as you say, through a conversation, even through listening to a podcast where you get that sense that someone else has had a, you know, that there's that shared experience because I think it's when you feel like you're on your own, that's when it's scary. That's when it's really scary. And I, I know for a fact that certainly four years ago, as I've already said, I didn't know anyone else who had the issue, in inverted commas, that I had. Now, I now know that it, that grey area drinking affects millions. Mm. It's just that no one was talking about it because you know, we have this perception that there are two types of drinker in the UK, those at rock bottom, as we've already said, yeah. who need rehab. And then there's everyone else and they're just happy social drinkers and they don't have any kind of, in inverted commas, problem other than you know, can't hold their beer sometimes. Mm -hmm. But that's not the reality. There are millions and millions and millions of grey area drinkers who actually don't want to be in this trap. They just don't know that there's a way out and they feel so much shame. And, and for me, that was the place I was at. So I had no idea that there was anyone else feeling this way. So it was listening to podcasts and getting connected with, with other people who who'd literally had the same experience that opened up the whole world for me. It must be re it must be I would imagine extra hard in the circles that you were in the work that you were in um, for people like you and you mentioned some of your colleagues before for, to, to kind of break away from that the social norm that we were talking about in that world where it's almost well from an outsider looking in it looks like it's almost pushed on you you have to have a glass in your hand yeah. every do um, yeah I know what you mean other people have sort of said this about the media you know all the boozing in the media and and you're right um it, it is available all the time and certainly certainly back in the day i remember i used to even i used to show on virgin radio and i'd regularly kind mm. of go and have a bottle, bottle of wine you know share a bottle of wine with dinner before i went and did my late night show mm -hmm. um it was very much the norm and we were in even in the even in the pub at lunch times you know in, in the early days and mm. then and then if you go to functions there was always free free booze absolutely everywhere so you're right it's very much part of it and when we were touring of course there's always booze in the dressing room but having said all of that um i've since realized that alcohol is rife in pretty much every industry you know i did my tedx talk and it was the guys who run it were part of uh, norwich university and they were telling me that within the teaching teaching profession lecturers oh my God, there are issues with alcohol. Here people talk about the medical profession and the issues with alcohol. So I, I, I actually don't think it's confined to the media. It's just that we often get it free. <laughs> actually, yeah. And, 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 and because you're in the media, that's the people that we see. I yeah, suppose. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what is your podcast called then? Uh, my podcast is Alcohol Free Life. And how can... So people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you are they um, able yeah, to yeah <laughs> just sure of course i mean i'm on social media at Janie lee grace and uh, if you go to the soberclub.com um there's loads of stuff there blog posts competitions to win uh, great alcohol free drinks and there's a link to all the podcasts there as well um so yeah loads of stuff at the soberclub.com i gotta say i saw one of your tweets and it made me laugh talking about um alcohol free drinks i think your, your tweet you just said something like have a grape instead <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love that. When, well, there, there was a piece in the paper um, this week, I don't know if you saw it in the news, that was talking about how um, uh, it, this study said that people who drink red wine mm. have less, ch less uh, likelihood of needing cataract surgery, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, 
literally, I just, I just shout total BS at that. Yeah. It's absolute BS. Hmm. It, I can't, I just don't know where they get this nonsense from. But that's the kind of article that would have kept me stuck. Because I'd have read that. Of course, I wouldn't have bothered to read the small print where it does say under 14 units and they don't know that it's a causal effect. It might be, you know, all that nonsense. And mm. um, I would have not bothered to read that bit. I would have just seen that as a license to carry on. It's nonsense. Alcohol is literally the number one most harmful goddamn drug when you take into account everything. Yeah. And, and it's a depressant and it's super bad for you. And yes, if you want the antioxidant polyphenol effects, then have a grape. And grapes are beautiful anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I've never, I used to get told when I was younger, when I say younger, I mean like early 20s, um, oh, you'll develop a taste for wine, you'll develop a taste for wine, just keep drinking it. And I was like, it's horrible, I never oh, ever develop the taste. Yeah, why would you? Why would you want to, why would we want to force people to develop a taste for toxic fermented liquid? It's just weird. It's so strange, isn't it? So but, when did you start on the health, health kick then, did you say, in the, in the early 90s? Yeah, that would have been early 90s when I, when it, it kind of dawned on me that you know uh, I might not be living forever and I might want to think about you know what I was eating and and just just yeah just becoming a bit healthier really so yeah okay. and that, that was that was when I kind of got into um you know good good food and what was going on in my head and and then a little bit later around about 90 um 98 or 97 when I was pregnant with my first child that's when I got into all the kind of chemical free stuff and started to really care about you know um skincare without chemicals and all of that stuff mm -hmm. okay and because uh, because i need as, as many tips as possible to stay feeling <laughs> looking young so the alcohol is gone the meat is on its way out um apparently today i've got to give up fish because there's a horrible new documentary on oh the, yeah on Netflix. Seaspiracy. yeah Seaspiracy. Seaspiracy. i, I yeah, see yeah. i i it, it's i my empathy valve is completely open and if i watch that it would possibly, um, I don't know, it would have a very bad effect on me. So mm, I, I'm mm. thinking I may just try and give up fish without watching it. Mm, because yeah. I can't, my, my brain can't deal with that much pain. I, I, it's knowing my limits, really. If mm. th there, was, there was a thing on, I think it was Netflix years ago, called Okja, about pig, uh, this uh, uh, fantasy animal, like a giant pig. And mm. um, my partner watched it and said, I'm not touching meat ever again. And I yeah. thought, no, I can't watch. If that's had that effect on him, there's no way that I will be able to watch it. So no, my limit. So I don't know if I'll watch that documentary, but I will certainly act upon it. Mm. Yeah, I think all of us have got to. You, there's so much to weigh up, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And and I do think it's that kind of small change, big difference approach. Yeah. Um, you know, we all have to do the bits that work for us health wise. I actually don't believe that one size fits all when it comes to um you know, sort of diet and, and, and food. I, I really don't. I think, um, hmm. you know, there's been studies done. I'm sure you know, you've heard of uh, John Robbins, um, who did the, uh, I've forgotten what the book was called. Uh, oh, he Healthy at 100, I think it was. I was thinking um, of Tim Robbins. That's a different person. Yeah, all right. It? No, it's a different person. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, it was a, it's a very old book now, really, really old. But he, um, he, he studied cultures all around the world. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, he's a kind of an anthropologist, really. And um, as did Weston A. Price. That's another very old name that, that is a very interesting one to watch. Because both these guys studied cultures around the world. And they looked at people who were incredibly healthy 
and had got to 100 or even more. And what you would have expected them to have found was that they, they you know, was, there was a commonality. They all ate the same foods and that's what meant they lived to 100. But actually the diets were totally 100% varied. Really? I mean, some ate, some ate only fruit, some ate only meat, some ate, you know, a whole, I mean, it's, it, it, was, it was shocking actually. It was very surprising. But there were some things that they all had in common and that was pretty much no processed crap. Mm. Um, and, and this is really important, an amazing sense of community around them. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of family and, 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 and younger people. They, they were part of a community. They were oh, respected. Wow. They were all respected. That's, I mean, that just sounds lovely anyway, doesn't it? Um, yeah. You've got four children, haven't you? Yeah, I have, yeah. And you, I thought you were going to think about that. <laughs> And no, I was just, I was just choking. I was just choking. Think, oh, thinking, have I? Like, oh God, yeah. I'm not, I've only got. Th- oh yeah, no, it's four. Um, <laughs> and you've cover, uh, you've collaborated on a few books about pregnancy and. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. yeah well, I wrote um, Imperfectly Natural Baby and Toddler. Uh, mm. Goodness knows, uh, I don't know, fifteen years ago or something, fourteen years ago. And then I did um, some audio uh, hypnosis audios with Glenn Harold, who's a leading hypnosis audio author mm. um, and we did we did some yeah some hypnosis hypnosis audios for pregnancy and birth as uh, kind of uh, you know natural pregnancy and natural birth so yeah that, that was really good fun doing those so I'm guessing being a mum is something else that changed your life completely oh yeah completely and I never intended to have any children I was just very much kind of you know, rock and roller and, you know, mm-hmm. busy. I genuinely did not intend to have children. So I feel incredibly blessed that, you know, I've ended up with four, really. <laughs> that That's quite amazing. Did you never want children or you just didn't think no. that you'd have them? No, I didn't really want children. No, I didn't. Um, I, I definitely didn't. Um, I didn't have... I mean, this is what I think is just bizarre, really, when I look back. I didn't, I didn't have a biological clock ticking. I didn't yeah. think that would be my path at all. And so, you know, when I, in fact, when I first got pregnant, um, they th- I, I was having all these kind of issues and they thought it was an ovarian cyst. And oh, God, <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. I know, it was just bizarre. And I literally had this scan um, thinking that I had an ovarian cyst and thinking, oh, my God, you know, I've never been ill and what the hell is this? Hmm. And it was a baby. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as soon as I found out it was a baby, of course, it was like I wanted it more than anything. Oh, really? Um, instantly that, that changed? Instant, instantly, instantly. So oh, and then exciting. I, yeah, no, and then I got on my kind of steep learning curve and, um, and, and yeah, <laughs> and because uh, obviously I wanted to do it all naturally. So, <laughs> so I did. So your eldest is called Cyst. <laughs> <laughs> See, what you did yeah. completely naturally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had four natural births. That was super important to me. I threw money at it every time and, and <laughs> just got the best. I, I, I didn't have any holidays for a lot of years. I just threw money at having, um, you know, really good natural pregnancies and, and uh, you know, natural births. And four down the line. Wow. Yeah. So you would just do it rock and roll that you say. I've got to say the video for Seven Ways to Love is like watching an episode of Absolutely <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Do you it's know what that so was? 90s. I mean, talk about talk about thrown together. Oh my God, you can tell. I mean, it only cost. It's brilliant. It only cost a few quid, and it was literally thrown together. It was so funny. It was fun though. It was I fun. I bet it was. No, it looks it. It really does. 
does look it. But honestly, it, I watched it and I was thinking, what does this remind me of? And you know when they did like the the cutaways on Absolutely Fabulous and yeah, they went to like yeah. them being in the 70s. With that, that, that's what it reminded me of, the cutaways yeah. on Absolutely Fabulous. Yeah, so yeah, that's brilliant. what we wanted to go for, yeah. Oh, right, this is, um, I'm talking to you, Jane Lee Grace, but I have to ask about Radio 2 and working with Steve. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's it like? Yeah, it's great fun. I mean, I've been doing it for so many years now. It's bonkers, isn't it, really? Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we do we do have great fun. I sometimes wonder if we, uh, if you know, it'd be so great if we could, um, uh, you know, actually air the bits between <laughs> the, the stuff you don't hear. <laughs> that would make, another, that'd make course, a brilliant podcast. <laughs> yeah, because of course we, we have a great laugh. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really plus. lucky. We've had amazing guests as well, of course, so that really helps. Well, you do have amazing guests. My favourite people, I mean, obviously I miss the old woman. Um, and um, Barry from Watford is yeah, yeah. one of my favourite people <laughs> ever. I know, he's funny. I used he to, is funny. I used to get onto friends and stuff saying, quick, turn it on, turn it on. That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know what I find is good for my soul and my mental health? It's laughing. Yeah, and I totally. said I absolutely love it. And I said at the start, you've got an infectious laugh. I love listening to your laugh when you're doing <laughs> factoids or when you're doing I don't know um, who was born on this day and what. what yeah. And you just start laughing, and I just I laugh along, and I love laughing <laughs> along with people laughing. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I remember bit being when I was a kid, and I remember. Um, I mean, it shows how old I am. But we used to go into like fun fairs, and uh, and they used to have those. Like a, a, it was a laughing policeman in a case. Yes. <laughs> what the hell was that? And you used to put your money in. You used to put, and, 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 and he would just like laugh hysterically. Oh, I just thought it was the best thing. It was. I remember them at Black, I think Blackpool or something. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy thing. I know. What a thing. But good therapy. They should bring them back. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Nice, there's definitely something to be said for having a good laugh. It, yeah. oh i love it i really do <laughs> <laughs> oh janie thank you so so much for joining me today oh, it's been great I, fun i hope you found some benefit in talking um and if you want to talk some more you've got my details um but i just hope you found benefit in it and you've had a, an all right time at least yeah no, it's been great no well done you it's, it's a really nice thing to do well, I've, I've, I noticed over the years that you like a chat, so I thought I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. And to anyone listening out there, thank you again for listening to State of Mind. I'll get the kettle on for next time. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter at Richard Sefton 3 If you've been affected by anything that we've spoken about today, you can get in touch with Alcoholics Anonymous on 0800 9177 650 or 116123 is the Samaritans. Incidentally, Mind are an amazing charity. If you Google them, you can find lots of useful and important information there. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other.